Welcome, Pudding People, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. I am your host, Ken Seymour. Today, I have a very interesting guest with me today is uh, another interview with an actor, somebody that helps to create the things that distract us from our day-to-day grind and has been involved <laughs> in some really great stuff. Miss Colleen Foy, thank you for joining us today. Hi there. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you. Um, I, I have to say, I'm I'm super excited, maybe not for the reasons that a lot of people would expect. I'm always excited when I get to talk to somebody in the industry, but uh, mm-hmm. one of your earliest credits just immediately um, sprung up as something that, that just creates a warmth and a joy. And I saw that you're on Sesame Street early on in, in your listing. It's like, oh, that's so cool. Yes. What, what, how did you, <laughs> how did you get into Sesame Street? Um, uh, I'm so glad that you're enthusiastic about it because I, like, if that was the only credit I had ever, like, okay, great. I'm good. Like, that's amazing. I got to go on Sesame Street. Um, uh, everyone sort of recognizes that as being so classic. It was something my, my, it was actually the only thing my grandmother saw me do acting wise before she passed. Um, uh, so it has like a really special place in my heart because Thank God it was family friendly enough that she could see it. Um, uh, and, and also she knew how big it was. So it's, it has, it's really special. It's just really special to me. Um, so I was working with the National Theater of the Deaf. I was the only hearing person in the company, but we were traveling with an adaptation of Alice in Wonderland, um, which was just incredible. And the producers of Sesame Street um, saw it, were interested in us coming on. So we filmed five segments of the sign language word of the day. And so we had taught, like, uh, we taught exercise and run and jump and dance. And uh, it was, it was incredible incredible it was incredible yeah there's so many things i have to say about it i could go on and on but i don't want to sort of <laughs> well you, you know on on our show we encourage uh, effusive speaking in any in any in any way that you like now, i i was wondering about that because i saw that you uh, you were alice in alice in wonderland in that mm. production and i saw that that there was that kind of connection and even kind of bridges to the the current part uh, that you play in station 19 so yeah. i but the big question before i kind of backtrack a little bit into history is i i had to wonder i was lucky enough to be in a production of alice in wonderland uh in, in college and the the question that came to me when you're when you're putting on a production that is uh, in the theater uh, for for people that are going to have hearing impairments, I know a lot mm-hmm. of times when in, in a normal production you're project you know make sure that everybody can hear you and everything is kind of exaggerated in certain ways so that everybody in the back seats can can get to everything. How does a production for for people with hearing impairments change? How do you do something similar for them? How's that work? Yeah, um, uh, that's a fantastic question. And I'm glad you asked it because I think the more that productions, whether it's stage or TV or film, the more that they um, have an understanding of how we can make things accessible, the, the, the greater the audience grows. And the more that um, hearing, uh, hearing, deaf, visually impaired people all have the same experiences. They should be accessible to everyone. So um, I voiced everything 
on stage. Um, so it was a little bit, um, it changed from character to character. So I, as Alice, would say, like, um, why am I talking with my hands? Uh, White Rabbit, where are you going? I'm late. I'm late. I'm late. What do you mean you're late? So I would be sort of like voicing him, sort of interpreting for him, um, uh, and doing different voices for each of for each of the characters. So that's how that's how it worked. Yeah. So it's kind of like you were almost the storyteller for yes. for the whole thing. That's really yeah. cool. Yes, and um, the character of Alice was a, a hearing girl who spoke until she fell down the, the hole, the, the rabbit hole, and boom, she starts talking with her hands. So as she's figuring it out, um, some of the characters would help her a little bit with sign language. And so it also became a little educational while being um, entertaining. Uh, and then we did a performance in um, Illinois. So we traveled all over the country. We did a performance in Illinois where it was also um, uh, described for the visually impaired. So they would have, uh, they would have like a, a device in their ear and there was someone who worked with us in a rehearsal and he had, he had basically a script of of uh, how to how he would describe everything happening. So, we we could have in one row of the audience a hearing person, a deaf person, and a blind person sitting next to each other and all enjoying the same performance, which I just think is incredible. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I being able to reach as many people with a good story is is yeah. really something that that has always been important to me because I having that shared experience is what kind of creates our, uh, our, our, our heritage, our pop culture, everything that kind of goes with it. And the more that we can yes. share the, the, the cooler it is. Cause then you can talk to everybody that has the different opinions. Like oh, I, I didn't, I didn't think of it in certain ways cause I can't think of it in certain ways because exactly. of my life experiences. So, so yeah. how, how did you get started into acting in the first place? Was was this something that was always a burning passion or did you kind of stumble into this? <laughs> yeah, it was always a burning passion and, and in hindsight, likely a source of annoyment for my family because I'm always a kid, always acting, always singing, always singing, you know, always, you know, working on something and forcing them to sit on the couch and watch me perform um, uh, and writing plays um, and uh uh, I wrote a play and my, my fifth grade class actually performed it. It was um, a Christmas play. And um, awesome. so luckily I had a little bit of encouragement from folks who saw that it wasn't just, um, it was, it was, I just wanted to do it so bad and all the time. And um, uh, my, I just sort of thought that way. I mean, you probably um, can, can relate. I think in, in stories and I, I, I want to, I want to create things that, it, that, sh that can sort of represent my expression and my feelings. I think some of us, we just have, we have that predisposition. <laughs> and, um, uh, so I always, always had that. And, um, like I said, was just performing all the time and writing plays and, um, uh, would would create songs and create dances and um, all the all the time and then I did it in high school and then majored in theater in college and um, uh, and was trying to learn as much about the business as I could while being in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So yeah, so when I did um, professional theater in Milwaukee while I was in college, um, one of the actresses who I had looked up to for so long, she said. 
oh, I don't know if I should say this. She said, get out. <laughs> like, like she said, her husband had, her and her husband were part of this incredible experimental theater company in Milwaukee. And he had just had a, um, a heart attack the year before. They didn't have health care. They're making incredible art, but they don't have, they didn't have um, certain things in their lives that they, that they wanted to sh- show for it. So she was like, basically get out. It, it, like, if you can, if, if, if you have that desire, otherwise you will always be having another job while right. pursuing this in Milwaukee. So, um, so I tried as, uh, as hard as I could to learn about the business. I interviewed, uh, everyone that had ever gone to my school and ended up in Los Angeles. I interviewed them. And I, what I wanted to know was like, what are your budgets? Um, uh, how, how much do you spend on gas, on groceries, on headshots, on casting websites? How do you get an agent to start with? So by the time I moved out to LA, um, the burning desire that I had always had was matched with some, some knowledge. There was a lot more knowledge that I did not have. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there, there's always that. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. That's, that's, and it's got to be kind of, every time I hear a, a story that's similar to this, it's got to be kind of scary in, in a certain uh, extent because you're, you're foraging out into the unknown, not just a, a completely different geographical area, but uh, a, a different uh, local cultural environment and trying to understand the intricacies, uh, intricacies, I can almost speak today, uh, of, of how the, how the business works while, at the same time, I'm sure probably not trying to let that dominate everything so you can create the the character that you're doing at the time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Everyone kept saying to me, you need to have thick skin. You need to have thick skin, thick skin. and all. But all the characters that I play are um, sensitive individuals. <laughs> uh, you know? So I, um, I, do, I, I do a lot of crying on TV. Um, uh, we'll, I will cry for SAG credit, you know, um, <laughs> I like it. I usually just do that, uh, on my own in a dark room with a half full yeah. glass of something <laughs> as I look over my last emails with a very polite no from whoever it is I want to talk to next. <laughs> well, where, wherever you can. Oh, yeah. exactly. Exactly. So do you. Now, when you really got into this, did, was your goal to be, okay, I'm, I am going to be a theater actress, or was it, I, I really do want to do a little bit of everything, or I want to focus on television? Where was your, your goal at? Well, my goal, was, uh, my goal was TV and film, because I assumed that I would always be doing theater. I assumed it would always sort of be a part, um, uh, but I knew that it's hard um, it's hard to break into TV and film. Um, and that's putting it sort of as mildly as possible. Um, so I knew that that would take a lot of work and that my focus had to really be be strong with that. I, um, I also was doing commercials at the time and was like dabbling in voiceover. Um, I'm no longer pursuing voiceover. I'm no longer pursuing commercials because TV and film really is my, is my focus. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. and you some of your voiceover work are are, are in some fairly um, well known products. I mean, between uh, Hitman Absolution and yes. Final Fantasy VIII, uh, it, so you actually got to do some mocap on yes. top of the voice work. What was that like uh, going into that? It's like, yeah, we want to you want we want you to talk, but also here are some ping pong balls. <laughs> 
Um, well, okay. So I did two, three weeks of motion capture work on Hitman Absolution, and it was the best. I remember leaving after my first day and I thought, oh my God, I found it. Like, I love this because I was what is called um, a utility player. So I was there every single day doing every single, every single role that um, either they, they were like kind of casting me or um, there were days where some of the big name actors in that project were not available. So I would stand in for um, for some of these actors. Uh, and one of them was a, a young young actress, I think Isabel Furman. Uh-huh. Um, she, she was a kiddo at the time. She still might be. I don't know. Time is a weird thing. Um, so I, w- I did a lot of her, her work while she was supposed to be acting with, um, let's say, Powers Booth. Or um, uh, Stephen Bauer, um, uh, John Grise. Um, so, so I I would do some of the, she d- did all of her own work, and then when they were there, I would be standing in for her. So I got to act with some of the greats. Right, and that, that's and kind of where I was leading because it's like Powers Booth, he was amazing. I mean, that had to have been just an incredible experience, even if it wasn't in a, a, a more traditional set style right. s- situation. What was it like to have somebody with that level of experience to be able to just kind of bounce back and forth and create with? Well, I tried to stay as present as I could because there's a little bit of like, oh, like, oh my God, it's Powers Booth. Uh, it's Powers Booth. And also a little bit of like, this is the weirdest setting ever to be working in, you know? Um, and, and so with all of that, I wanted to stay as, as present as possible so I could um, take in what he was doing. And I tell you, these guys, because they've done it for um, so long, and they are so good. Everything was wonderful. Everything was wonderful. Um, and of course, there were adjustments of uh, because when you're on camera, it's not as it's not a 360 like it is in the motion capture volume, where they literally have cameras um, uh, 360 degrees. Right. So there was we were le- we were learning together, which was uh, <laughs> fantastic. So fantastic to be sort of like okay, we're in this together. Mr. Booth, <laughs> uh, you know, um, William Maypother was there every single day as well. Oh. He, yeah, he, um, uh, he was, he did all the motion capture work for Hitman. Um, so, and he was just so lovely. He um, felt like an uncle and has kept, kept in touch and just, um, how are you doing? He's, he's just fantastic. I, I have nothing to say but incredible things from working on that. Oh my gosh, it was so good. Again, I could go on and on and on. Well, and being a huge nerd myself and and loving video games, just just that that whole that whole side of the creation process always just listening and, and being able to point out in, in a game, I, I try and go in blind. It's like, okay, I don't want to know who's involved in production. Can sure. I, can I pick out their voices? Can I pick out their performances? Mm. And just those little, little giggly moments where you go, that's pretty cool. Were, were you a fan of video games beforehand or did this maybe spark some interest in video games afterwards? Oh, you know, I think I was a fan, but that took it to the next level. Um, uh, that took it to the next level because 
um, things have just gotten so much more cinematic. I mean, I think for Hitman Absolution, we had like a 200-page script. Ooh. A script um, uh, for all of these cut scenes. I had, and, and, and reading it was like reading a film. Um, uh, so, so because technology had progressed so much, um, uh, it was really like stepping into this incredible cinematic world, kind of what I imagine, um, and hopefully we'll experience one day. It's like to shoot something like, um, like a Marvel film. Uh, you know, I'm putting that out there as we speak. So, um, you know, with the green screen and, you know, someone is standing next to you and they're on stilts and they've got dots all over their face or, or I'm on stilts and have dots all over my face. Um, it's just so exciting and it's so collaborative. It's so collaborative. Um, there's a video game I worked on um, that was canceled, and I signed so many NDAs that um, <laughs> that I, I have uh, terrible fear <laughs> that my excitement will at some point overwhelm me. It was canceled, and it was devastating, but we had worked for a very long time on it. And when we got into the volume, they would match us up, and I could see my character and see her clothes oh. on, the, on the monitors. So I was watching myself with my wardrobe and my fantastic wardrobe on these monitors. And it, it's, it's just so mind blowing, the collaboration of it all. So I really hope uh, to do a lot more. That's so. super cool. Well, yeah. let's, let's have the nerd test then. Uh, being a oh, fan, of, fan of video games, uh, this, it's an easy test. I don't like to give hard tests. What, what is your favorite game? If you were to sit down in front of the TV, you've had a hard day, I want to escape into a game, what would you play? Oh, you know, um, what I've been liking is Ghost of uh, Tsushima. Am I saying that right? I'm, I'm going to assume so. I'm very good at massacring names. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've actually never said it out loud. Um, I have a couple friends who are in that. And um, oh gosh, I just think it's stunning. And um, I just think it's so stunning. Not just the visual images, but sort of the story that they're telling. Yeah. That's, that's super awesome. Um, so, well, I usually ask this one later, but since you kind of brought up the whole Marvel thing, I usually ask people who have not already been in a film based on a comic book, since we tend to focus mm -hmm. a lot of our podcast on that, the intersection of film, television, and comic strips and comic books. Who would you love to play if you had, you know, could have your pick of anything? What would be your character? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, uh, um, all of them. No, uh, 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 you know, I. Gosh. Now, are you a, a Marvel person or a DC person? Independent comics. Uh, what What is your bread well, and butter? I would say I, I'm a little, a little, uh, a little picky and choosy. A little bit of a cherry picker. Um, um, uh, I'm really excited for the Eternals coming out. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't really care that that the reviews have been less than stellar. I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to see what they do because I think it might change the landscape of those kinds of movies. Mm -hmm. um, the 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 one. You know, oh sorry, oh boy, my mind's everywhere. My mind's like ping ponging, ping ponging. Well, that's um, good. Um, I've seen um, the first Wonder Woman movie with um, Gal Gadot mm -hmm. um, several times. It's it really that to me is just a fantastic movie. Um, that is well done. 
Uh, yeah, before that, I probably watched the Tobey Maguire Spider- Spider-Man movies um, uh, more than anything. Um, uh, but I, 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 um, I know that they're going to do a third Wonder Woman movie, Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot. I really hope that it's a little bit of a return to, to the form for the, from the first film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was left so bummed after the second one. Well, um, so you can't always hit it out of the park. And there were still no. elements that were fun, and the the, sure. the actors did fantastic. I know we talked about that. It's like, I, I liked the first Wonder Woman so much, and then I went into the second. It's like, well, it was okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. For sure they can't all be winners. Right. Um, and as long as they're getting the opportunity to tell the story again, they can look at what pieces perhaps worked right. and what didn't. And um, yeah. Get back in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna di- divert just a moment because this one's been eating at me. You get that moment, you get that thought that pokes at the back of your mind. <laughs> ask this yes, question. Ask that. this question. Okay, so going over all of your your list of of different productions that you've been involved with, whether they're television or film, one short film kind of jumped out at me, and I had to ask just because it sounds kind of awesome even if it's just a short thing sassy gay friend hamlet (laughs) yes that sounds fantastic what exactly is that and how did you get to be in that as ophelia Oh my gosh. Oh, cool. Um, uh, so my friend, Brian Gallivan, um, who is a, an incredible, now he's a, he writes for TV. He creates for TV. He's a, he's a, he's a big name dude. Um, we met in acting class and um, he was uh, an improv improver from Chicago. So he had done a lot of sketch, a lot of improv. And one of his sort of recurring pieces was um, he is sassy gay friend who pops up into all of these situations. Mine happened to be Ophelia's situation in Hamlet. He pops up and he's like, what, what, what are you doing? It's Hamlet. Um, uh, my, one of my favorite lines from our, from our short film is, there is something rotten in Denmark and it's his piss poor attitude. Um, so he, he saves me from drowning myself and realizing Hamlet, like I can do better than Hamlet. Um, so he was at the time pursuing acting and his manager wanted him to like film some of these sketches. So, um, uh, so he asked me to do it and it became this viral hit. Um, in fact, of all the things, a certain group of people will come up to me and say, Oh my gosh, when I was in middle school, we just loved Sassy Gay Friend. We loved Hamlet. And I'm like, cool, 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 cool. I feel old now. Um, but there's a certain group of people, it's a lot of like theater people who are like, oh my gosh, loved Sassy Gay Friend. It became this strange viral hit. But I think it's because Ryan is, I mean, <laughs> Brian is such a good writer. He's he's so clever, he's so smart. He's incredible. So, well, I think it, it, it may be one of the reasons I thought it might resonate with me is being a fan of theater. You, you, you've seen every Shakespeare play a million times. So, any slightly different interpretation, a, a little different take on it, is just so nice to see and just yes. kind of to play with and to create something new out of. And that, that had to have just been. I feel like if I were involved with it, I would not be able to not giggle every time that started recording. It's like, oh, wait, we got we got to start over again. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. It was so silly. And we, we shot it in the middle of a park. And so 
<laughs> people were walking by, they're like, oh, this girl's about to jump off a bridge and there's a guy with a fabulous scarf. <laughs> yes, we're having a blast. We're having the time of our lives. Uh, keep walking, keep walking, get your steps in. <laughs> yeah, it was great. So going from the, the silly to the yes. significantly more serious. Um, so you were in There Will Be Blood and, uh-huh. and a fairly fairly important role in that. And, you know, that was such a, an impressive film to, to begin with. But it's, it's, it's like I said, it's like a pendulum swing from being kind of silly to just being what, yeah. what on the outside I would feel like would be a very intense production of, of that particular piece. What was it like to be involved with that? And, and, and was Daniel Day-Lewis as, as intense as I have heard that he is on set? Mm-hmm. Um, so he was not that way with me. Um, um, I think, so it was my very first film. Um, and I think perhaps he knew that I was, um, maybe needing a little encouragement. They, I got down to Texas and they cut, uh, my hair was super long and they cut it off to go period piece. And, um, uh, one day as I was leaving, um, I didn't see him, but I hear, um, I, I hear, I like your haircut. And I turn around and Daniel's sitting on his steps of his trailer. And I was, and in hindsight, I should have walked over and said, thank you so much. Let's chat a little bit. But I was like, I was like, thank you. Oh my God. You know, and got, got to my car, got back to the hotel. Um, uh, so lovely. Just so lovely. Um, of course he was, he was not in the middle of shooting right then. And right. There. Right. Um, but like how giving, how incredible. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So he was just lovely. Well, the director yeah. is quite, quite the individual too. I, yes. I, I've joked with uh, my co-host uh, a couple of times about this. Uh, there are a handful of directors that kind of follow this and that will have a, a, a number of films that they do that are just very impressive. And then 70 music busy videos. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right. So, I mean, uh, it, for our listeners that are not aware the, the the director of there will be blood also did boogie nights and punch drunk love. And so just kind of, seems like he would have a handle on on something like this pretty well. What was it like to work with uh, did you get to work with him directly? Yeah, absolutely. Um uh absolutely. Well, I think yeah, he, he's great and actually I I love his films and I love his music videos too. He can really kind of do it all. Um uh and he has a new one coming out soon, Licorice Pizza, um with Philip Seymour Hoffman's son. I'm 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 nervous about that one. I really want to you like are. it. Well, it's just I, I do too. I do too. It's it's like because uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman was such an amazing actor. And it's like I really want this to go well for so, him. So yes, I want it. I want it to go well too. Yeah. Yeah, it's just uh. crazy. Now, um, just a, a a quick note. Uh, you know, it's it's really important when you have these brushes up with. Uh, to, to fame to kind of capitalize on that momentum. At least I've been told that on multiple times. So what I'm going to do to capitalize it right now is turn it over and talk about our social media right now. Hey there, pudding people. Don't forget to check us out on our social media accounts so you can keep apprised of everything that we do any time of the day. Richard, you're most on Instagram, right? On the Gram Gram, yes. And what are we best known on Instagram as? 
Pudding Guys. Easy enough. In fact, that's also what we're known as on Facebook. Now, I'd say we're on Instagram just a little more than we are on Facebook. You might get the occasional update there. We are most active on Twitter, where we are at Real Pudding Guys. Uh, we will give you updates about the next episode that's going to be coming at the end of the week when it's released. Any other little updates to the Ultimate Comic Movie Database or the Pop Culture Death Counts will also be there. Um, now, our most exciting changes are going to be coming up soon. We're going to have a new website called Fate, the Film and Television Engine. We're getting close to doing the beta for that. We're still working on the alpha side. We'll be doing a little closed beta and inviting a handful of people into this. I tell you what, it's going to be really, really cool when it releases. Now, you'll be able to also hear about that on our Patreon page. What are we on Patreon, Richard? Pudding guys. Pretty easy. Now, right now, it's very easy to support us. How much does it cost, Richard? It's one dollar per month per month not per day per month <laughs> yes twelve dollars for a year yeah uh, that's really not much to help support us as we release new content as we get better equipment to release the content into and when the fate engine comes out it will have its own cost and we're going to make it very affordable for everyone to be involved with this and it's going to be so cool i can't wait for you all to hear about it now, wasn't that informative and fun? Almost Absolutely. like being on Sesame Street, right? <laughs> yes. No, no. <laughs> so, okay, I've I've got to ask uh, your current your current show that you're on is a spinoff of uh, a terribly mm. popular show, um, Grey's Anatomy, and I have to wonder, you know, whenever you go into a project that's its own project, you know, you're fresh, you're uh, you've got a, a bl what feels like a blank slate to, to create whatever it is. Is there, do you feel like it's a different environment when it's something that is kind of spun off from something that's already this enormous hit? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I do feel like there's, um, this is going to sound so unartistic, but there's a brand that they've established and that they're they're looking to continue. Um, so it's not just necessarily a Shondaland um, entity, uh, right? But it's also like Shonda Rhimes um, for Thursday nights on ABC has kind of dominated. They would uh, call it "Thank God It's Thursday," and it would be it would be back to back sort of Shonda Rhimes shows right uh shonda Rhimes produced and created shows um so it's not like they're going hmm let's let's just try something totally different there's already a a a, a, a established brand uh there's a tone there's a rhythm there's certain topics that that things will focus on uh so uh so but i do think that every single director or writer who works on the show is looking to say how do we stay fresh if this is already established, how do we keep people interested uh, rather than having sort of the same thing, the same thing, the same thing? How, and I think that's kind of, uh, I'm, as I'm talking about it now, maybe something that every business person has in mind. How do we uh, keep uh, as our established brand 
uh, continuous while creating a lot of exciting uh, variety within that brand. So yeah, it's, it's very different than, um, let's say there was a show that I did, uh, for, um, Sundance for the Sundance, uh, now, and then it was on Sundance, uh, TV. Um, and they were really, really creating it as they went. And then season two, they wanted to go a little more comedic. And I think they're, um, they were, it was, so creative the writers and the showrunners were also the lead actors it was very much in in the moment um whereas something like uh uh station 19 feels a little bit like um uh this gorgeous concocted recipe that we're that we're serving again and again to to what feels like family because there's already this incredible audience with a huge fan base uh, so it's like having family over and they want that recipe. So. That makes sense. I know a lot of my favorite shows are, are, are like that. Just being able to come back to it. It's like, ah, oh, this, this does kind of feel like home. Yeah. And yeah. so when your character was introduced, was it originally planned for a larger arc or was it one of those things where, well, we'll bring you in and it's like, oh, well, actually we've got something that we can really explore with this. And it grew from there. Uh, the yeah i was booked for one episode one episode and um uh my character was a woman in a um abusive marriage and she has a deaf son and the firefighters come to check on a gas leak at my house and through that they convince me to leave leave my husband with my child and um i was planting the seeds of chemistry with, <laughs> with one of the firefighters um and uh because of that they saw that that it was sort of fertile ground and they brought me back for um you know 13 episodes after that so that's super cool in, in my mind i have i have this imagination from an actor's standpoint when you're in that particular role and i always like imagine that there's some sort of you, you know they've they've got ways to measure the response of the uh, of the the people watching the show of how they how they react to certain things i just imagine imagine a minute by minute thing where you're going so like, okay come on come on pick up on oh there it is they like that <laughs> i'm coming back Yes, 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 yes. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. You're always trying to like stay in the moment. This is what it is. But also like, I would like them to bring me back. (laughs) So when you found out that you're going to be a more permanent part of the show, how did the how does how does that work? Because I've seen that happen on a number of occasions. You know, one of my favorite shows, the original Buffy the vampire slayer, you know, the spike character was not intended to be there for an extended period of time, but he ended up staying because people liked him so much. So when you come in for that individual role, do they, do they just feverishly go into the writing room? Okay. What are we going to do? And then present you, or is it more of a, a collaboration? Okay. So we, we want to create this to be as organic as possible and we want that to fit your personality. And then do they go to you or do they just kind of say, Hey, here's your stuff. Let's, let's go. Yeah, um, uh, they just, I would just get scripts as they came. Um, I think they had, um, I think 
what's unique is that um, the COVID uh, pandemic happened. I don't know if you heard about it, COVID. Um, um, no. I, oh. I, I've been in my house for too long. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> <anymore>. um, <laughs> they were able to, so our Station 19 and Grey's Anatomy um, incorporated the pandemic into their storytelling. I know some shows were like, nope, we ain't doing it. <laughs> <laughs> regular life we don't need that um but they incorporated that into their storytelling so um uh there was a lot uh there were a lot of scenarios where they wanted the firefighter to move in with us and so the woman that we were staying in sort of the safe house um she was elderly and got covid and um i was worried about being kicked out on the street so they i think had a lot of uh they were starting with a lot of plot points that um uh, were necessary because of the way that the world was 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 um, reacting to what was going on. So I think within all of those plot points, they every episode I feel like they got a clear sense of my voice, uh, a clear sense of sort of how uh, I interact, and they gave me a just incredible arc where I um, I I really sort of find find myself after being sort of in an abusive relationship and hoping that this fireman also then likes me um, growing in a place where I feel more confident and have a little more um, autonomy where I'm making my own choices rather than in reaction to other things happening. So, yeah, I, I think the writers are fantastic on the show. Yeah. So being involved with this for an extended period of time and you've had multiple kind of uh, guest spots on great shows like Castle and, and, and things like that. What is your favorite part of the production process, whether that's coming in for just an individual episode or being on for a, a longer period of time? What's kind of gives you that little that little internal squeal of joy whenever you get to do something? <laughs> well, I'm prone to internal squeals of joy. <laughs> Me too. So, so uh, great. Um, but I loved having a home. It's, uh, you know, I love having a home at Station 19. I go in, I get to catch up on what's going on in everyone's lives. Um, uh, and, and every time I was there, I think I noticed more and more things. Like the set decoration in my house was just incredible. But every time I was there, I would find a new little treasure. I was like, oh my gosh. Of course she has this book on her shelf, you know, or um, uh, I would notice the kinds of candies that they would have in a little candy dish. Um, so so I think sometimes when you we're new to a set, especially um, in COVID times where like you can't hang out on set, you can't hang out and just sort of be there. You're, you sort of pop into set. You see, so you 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 do your thing. Everything's a little bit um, crazy. Everyone's a little, it's rushed. And then you go back to your sort of holding. Because I was there again and again, I just got to know people better. I got to like see the value in all the aspects of what they were doing. Um, for example, uh, we did a lot of FaceTime calls on this show this past year. So seeing um, Chuck Gordon is our video playback on station 19 and he was so incredible with what he was able to do so that we could have the screens that we had he had a fake cell phone for me for one episode where i could it would respond to my thumb oh. and then and then i could hit 911 and it would say dialing but of course it wasn't dialing 911 ah, so ah. just the, like the magic of that i i haven't gotten used to that like or it hasn't worn off the specialness of that 
So had I had I only been around, popped in for one, I wouldn't have seen all the value of all those things. I love collaborating with people. I love it so much. And 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 um, the more you're there, the more you you feel comfortable chatting and you feel comfortable looking and touching and all that good stuff. That small detail, that that right there, that's that's the awesome awesomeness. I I laugh, uh, you know, as as a as being on this side of the mm. the production just seeing it from the other side it's easy to not understand why certain things are the way they are or have things kind of bother you but not realize why you know like for me seeing like you're talking about the cell phones seeing cell phones that are not any cell phone in the market do not look anything like this like why why couldn't they just get an iPhone? well there's probably a reason they couldn't just get an iphone (laughs) just kind of in there so trying to make it as as real as as you can within the constraints of budget and time and all the other things is always just kind of fascinating do you tend to uh do you tend to work with a lot of the other production crew do you tend to see you know the you know see pal around say the key grip i don't know <laughs> something like that do yes. you get to see that side of the production and see see what it is that they do to make things work yes although i do feel really limited in the last um year and a half because they want us so separated um i have in the past like uh when i did castle when i did code black i would rather not have my stand in sit in for me or stand in for me. I want to be there because I want to see what's going on. <laughs> I, I really and and overhearing what they're saying because what I would really love to do is shadow some of them and just sort of see what they do. I I also feel like kind of like we were saying before, the more exposure we have to different kinds of stories, the better. The more exposure I have to your art form and how it all works together with his art form and my art form and her art form, the more we understand that, the more we have respect for each other. And I think the the better we will all work together. So I, w- I wish, I wish that I had more of that experience um, on set, but recently it's just been um, pretty separate. Uh, yeah. Unfortunate realities. I, I don't like yeah. those. <laughs> yes. Those, are the, realities. those yeah. are the bad realities. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> so um okay so you you've got uh another production coming out here soon hopefully somewhat uh soon yes. uh, a new film called blonde now this is a, a biopic on marilyn monroe that's is that correct mm-hmm. yes so i know you're kind of limited in what you can talk about uh, about this but were you a marilyn monroe fan before uh, b- being involved with this production yeah, absolutely. I think she kind of stands uh, for glamour. Um, and then, of course, you get to know a little bit more about how troubled her life was and how manipulated she was and um, in some ways um, how much of a victim she was to this industry and um, this 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 image of glamour and Hollywood becomes a little tainted. Uh yeah. Yeah. Would you say? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, we we all we all want to hope that uh, that things are on the up and up when everybody's putting together. But you know, it's 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 the real world. There are going to be some instances where 
people that should not be involved with things are, are definitely going to take advantage of people. And you see that in the music, especially the early music industry, just all the time. People that should have made just a massive amount of money and didn't yeah. because their manager or the, the, the record label that they were dealing with just intentionally put the screws to them and they weren't able to do what they needed to do. And uh, it's, it's just kind of not, it, I don't want to say depressing. It is, but it's mm-hmm. hopefully a, um, a teachable moment for future, yes. for future generations. Now, if you had to choose a favorite film of Marilyn Monroe's, what would it be? I think Some Like It Hot. Um, some like it hot I find enjoyable in so many ways Um, she has a lot of great films I think I I think she's a much better actor than people give her credit for she slid right into whatever she was doing and it was like it was effortless absolutely but some like it hot is just man it's just incredible it's incredible Um, I actually think there is well in the um, script of Blonde there's there is some some like it hot in there they're actually doing some like it hot so I hope that uh, a guy uh, a friend of mine is playing uh, Tony Curtis oh so yeah yeah so uh, so hopefully we'll get to see a little bit of that but that's just incredible incredible movie it's so it's so fun yeah I've always liked that one uh, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes is also a a favorite that was that was really well like like I said, at least in terms of her performances, uh, it, yes. she was she was always fantastic. Mm-hmm. When you were preparing for your part in this film, w- again trying to stay as vague as I can, yeah, <laughs> is your character a created character or is it a character that has real historical place in what happened? Ooh, I think. Uh, my character is a created character in a very real historic situation. Um, uh, uh, my character's name is Pat. We guess we can say that. Um, well, it's on, uh, it's so on IMDb, I, so I hope we can. Right, absolutely, yeah. So I don't necessarily think you look through the books and be like, oh, there's Pat. Um, uh, but uh, there's um, a situation where uh, there were people like Pat right there so so yeah it's a real person uh real no i'm sorry created person in a real situation <laughs> what is real what is made up uh, i don't know i don't know anymore yeah well what's your biggest takeaway before this comes out when uh, after now the production is is done and it's just waiting for it to happen what was your what was the coolest part about making the film for you oh Oh my goodness. May I say a couple things? <laughs> as many as you like. Coolest. Um, um, okay. The first one, which is a little basic, we shot on, um, uh, we shot in a place called Diamond Bar in, um, in Los Angeles. Exactly. Okay. That facial expression. Exactly. Yes. Um, uh, you just have to keep driving, keep driving, just keep driving. Um, and it was sort of an abandoned um, uh, care facility. Um oh. Uh, and, and they film a lot there because it's kind of frozen in time. Uh, I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen images of, uh, like, well, if you look at any images of like Chernobyl, um, and you see sort of the Ferris wheel or like the, the kindergarten, um, um, it has that feel only it's not overgrown by all the, the leaves and foliage. Um, it's, it's preserved in time. So just being there was incredible 
incredible. Added to that is the wardrobe. We actually had, um, oh my gosh, I had so many like undergarments, <laughs> like a, a, a corset and, um, and tights, but they clip into this thing. And there's also like, like uh, cone shaped bras. Um, so, so like that kind of stuff is just like it's just so cool even if it wasn't going to be a big film and on de armas wasn't in it and julianne nicholson wasn't in it it would still be so fucking cool excuse my language oh you're just um <laughs> and uh so so that was amazing and then also um uh being able to witness on de armas has leading actress energy right oh, okay. she she sort of exudes she has this presence and it's the thing that they talk about with some of these actors just sort of like i couldn't keep my eyes off her i i like she just has this presence that was incredible just incredible um so watching her sort of own the space own the character she had worked so so hard on um the voice um the mannerisms it was it was incredible and there was a dialect coach on set who would come up to her and say it's it's like, and she'd repeat it back and take it another again. So watching that was incredible. But lastly, Julianne Nicholson has been one of my favorite actresses for a long time. So to, uh, to interact with her was great. When I was wrapped filming, I, um, instead of going straight to my car, I, went and found her in the makeup trailer. And I said, I'm so, excuse me. I'm, I'm so sorry to bother you. I know you're getting ready. I said, I have, I have admired your work for a very long time. And so to be able to work with you and know that you're such a lovely, wonderful person only makes me more of a fan. I've appreciated every moment. And she was like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, yes, um, I'm going to run to my car now and scream. Uh, I kind of couldn't believe that I did it, but it's one of those things where when I should have gone like uh, after Daniel Day-Lewis was like, good haircut. I should have gone like, Thank you so much. Let's let's talk shop. I I wanted to get that moment. I want to get that moment with some of these people who I have long admired. I sometimes can't believe that I was just a girl from Wisconsin who's like getting to interact with all these incredible people. I want to let her know. I wanted to let her know. I just admire the the crap out of you in every way. Um, and I did. And so I felt victorious. Um, so yeah. Definitely that getting the, getting those moments with the, 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 the people that, that essentially just had a, a, a strong effect on who you are, because I mean, yeah. that's what it is as we're absorbing art, it is affecting us. It's not, not like, you know, video game violence is going to make you go out and shoot people affecting us, but it, it does, right. it helps to kind of have us reflect uh, not mm -hmm. just on what is being created in front of us, but on who we are and how we relate to the world around us, and and seeing seeing those people that have that are at the front, that are the face of the project, is is just kind of moving. And I, I just I think that's maybe why things like uh, Comic Con and uh, Wizard yeah. World, that's why they have such followings. I've talked to some people. It's like, why would you pay that much money just to have a signed autograph? It's like what. Why wouldn't you? I mean, these these right. these are the people that 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 are making my life better from what they're doing. Yes, and absolutely. And it's just kind of kind of an awesome thing. The only thing I wish, and this is this is kind of having had a small peek behind the veil, I I, I really wish that there was a way to have the average viewer uh, mm -hmm. consumer see the writers 
and see the production crew that are also as as important as the actors and just go oh you have been involved on all of these projects and you made this part of it that was so good you know like the people that put together the sets on on station 19 you know that's a lot of work to make something that's not real feel real yes and we just kind of see it wash into the background but if it wasn't right it would be obvious Yes. Oh, that's actually a fantastic idea to meet some of those folks because um, their talent absolutely like it sews the story together. Um, and I think they they deserve so much more credit than they get, and they deserve some time in the spotlight. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think that. Yeah. Um, so, are there any other projects? Do you have any, say, theatrical projects, or uh, you know, are you going to be going back to the stage anytime soon? Or are you, uh, or are you going to continue on with TV and movies? <laughs> Um, I would go back to the stage in a heartbeat if it worked out. Um, right now in Los Angeles, theater is a little slow getting back together, a little slow. Um, uh, so hopefully that will shift a little bit. Um, uh, and then, you know, what's interesting is last time I auditioned for a play, I had this incredible callback and it was so good. And then they cast a TV star in the role. Um, because it sold tickets. Right. Well, I'm she, I'm sure she was wonderful in the role, and she's she's highly qualified. Well, there's no um, denying name neck. I can't even say it. Name recognition. Yeah, absolutely. So part of me thinks, well, if I want to do theater, I should become more of a name. <laughs> so I'm more of a name, so I can get paid nothing to do art for the masses. Ugh, I love yeah. it. I love it. Yeah. All right. So one final, completely unrelated question to anything. We always ask this everybody because, you know, as we've been talking about, we love things that connect people. And what connects people more than food? Uh, with with a name like Everybody Loves Pudding, you got to have at least one food question. And, and it, but we, instead of talking about pudding, we talk about pizza. Are you a pizza person? Love pizza. Love pizza. Right. Oh yeah, New York style or are you Chicago style? If you had to pick a specific place, what is your pizza place? Uh, my pizza place is Masa of Echo Park. It's deep dish. Uh, the owner is from Chicago, but I'll tell you what. I had a birthday a couple weekends ago, and I had Masa, so I had Chicago one night. The night after, I had Detroit style pizza. Nice here in Los Angeles, which is like pan and it's super duper doughy. It's kind of, I think of it as like the inverse of Chicago style. Right. Um, uh, but with Chicago, you get all the cheese and the tomatoes on top. I want it now that I, we're speaking about it. Um, yeah. I love pizza. I could, I could have pizza every day. It is, yeah. it is the, it, it is the binding, one, one of the binding foods that nearly everybody yes. loves. Well, yeah. just so that our listeners know, if you want to find out what Miss Colleen Foy is doing, she is on Instagram. You're at Colleen Foy on Instagram, That's it. correct? Yeah. And your website is ColleenFoy.com. Yes. If, if you want to see some very good uh, HTML, uh, <laughs> just pop by there at any time. Yeah. Are you on Twitter or Facebook or anything? I, I am on Twitter. Uh, Colleen Foy. Yeah, I keep it go. very simple. Colleen Foy, Colleen Foy, <laughs> ColleenFoy.com. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, excellent. You should definitely follow her and uh, take a look at what she's doing. She she obviously has a, a track record of some very cool stuff that she does, and you should definitely follow her. I want to thank you again so much for taking the time thank to you, talk man. to us today. And uh, 
Uh, I hope to talk to you again here after, after a little while and see what else that you've been up to. Oh, that'd be fantastic. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you.